continue in Romans chapter 12 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Romans chapter 12. We're finishing the chapter. We've been sort of running through Romans. But it helps us to see the flow and the, what Paul is saying by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us grow. When I was growing up, we'd love to go to my grandma's house. My grandma's a neat woman, loved Jesus Christ, saved our whole family. She's passed away now. And we used to go there in the wintertime near Christmas, and we'd go up and we'd spend the night at her house, a lot of the grandkids, and she'd, of course, put this rules of the house on the wall. I think I've shared this before, but if you don't know, her number one rule was be happy. It's nice. <laughs> I'd be happy if you were grandma's. And then there were things like make your own breakfast, make your own bed, no fighting, things like that nice set of 10 or so rules that she put there for the grandkids. It was the list. If you want to be in my house, this is what you need to do. And we did it. Many of us grew up, maybe not with that list, but with some list of things that we were going to do to be acceptable. Acceptable to the group we're in, acceptable to the church we're in, follow some norms, perhaps acceptable even to God. If you want to stay in other people's good graces, you want to be moral and upstanding, you want to keep your nose clean, work hard, have people sometimes over to your house to make sure you're showing that you're trying hard to be hospitable, on a good day, maybe you felt good about those things. On a bad day, maybe you're ready to toss it all and forget the church thing. <laughs> but at some point in your life, if you know Jesus Christ with me, a nuclear bomb happened. The nuclear bomb is, is that salvation is not of me. We've been looking at that in Romans. Justification, this big word, that means my righteousness, everything, that qualifies me to stand before a holy and awesome and perfect God comes from somebody else, Jesus Christ. He lived perfectly. He died for me. He rose again and promises me that I'm headed for heaven. We've been looking at that through 12, well, 11 at least, chapters of Romans. My eyes have been opened, so I gladly believe. So what now, when we've been fighting against, as we started chapter 12, a living sacrifice, was slipping back into thinking that we're keeping in God's good favor by doing the list, whatever that list might be. Feeling good if I do, feeling bad if I don't, conforming to people's expectations, trying hard to make my outside look good because I know I ought to try and look good. So I want to start this morning by re-emphasizing the key verse of Romans. And it was all the way back in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Remember that? It's so easy to be ashamed of the gospel and come back to try and make the outside of my cup look good again. So I'm going to start there, and then I want to bring in last week, where we looked at, oh, the beginning of 12, which is our response. It is, I want to talk about, we want to respond to the gospel. I'm so excited about what Jesus has done. I want to do something. What do I do? Well, here you are. It says, consider yourself. This is reasonable, rational, logical service for you to do, is to respond to the reality that Jesus Christ has made you alive. Jesus Christ has made you holy. 
Jesus Christ has made you acceptable to God. I don't do those things. I am. It's reasonable for me to say I'm going to lay my life down. Jesus owns me. We looked at that last week. And if we're there, this idea that we're already acceptable, then things begin to work. Then as we focus on the gospel, the good news of Jesus, then our our affections, the actual desires that we have begin to change. So our insides flow to our outsides instead of our outsides being this thing we're painting. We have the right base. That's the gospel. The gospel is going to help us this morning too. When we hit if you will, a whole paragraph of what looks like short commands. Take a look with me. Let's just read it in verse 9 of chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, there's a couple paragraphs. Okay, if I just put those down, I say, okay, we read them. In 10 minutes, I wonder how much of those 26 commands you'll remember. I wonder how many of them actually guide your day. I wonder if three hours from now, you'll even remember one of them. They were so fast, you see. Well, Dax, you also read them kind of fast. (laughs) Could have slowed down and taken another minute. Yeah, okay, if we read it again. We have these lists. What is Paul doing? Why are they like this? How do we think about these lists here? Well, the first thing I want us to do, these are three particular little paragraphs, the structure of how Paul did this, that help us. And the first is to respond to the gospel, this new life we've been given, in love. Respond in love. I know for some of us, love has been abused. It's been abused in our society. It means fuzzy feelings. That's not what Paul means. Otherwise, though sometimes fighting back from that, we tend to make it some hard, cold thing. Grit your teeth and love someone. I love you. I don't like you, but I love you. So what's happening? What is he doing in this thing? Starts off with let love be genuine. And then for these, the little paragraph that goes together is verse 9 to 13. And there are 13 little commands in your English text right there. Here they are. Let's look at them. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another, etc. They're there. I put numbers to help you so you can make a list. If you put little boxes, then during the week you can check them off as you do them. You know I don't mean that, huh? (laughs) 
you guys have been in church with me enough to know that somehow it's not about it being a list. It can't be, huh? It can't be because if it's a list, then what I'm aimed at is what are the things that I'm doing to try and make sure God stays good with me. And when I mark it off, what do I get? A, a little gold star. Dax, you did that one. Well, I've got to work on that one. And the reality, the true reality is for this list, it's not something I walk around with in my back pocket all the day. In fact, it's something that after this sermon, if I quiz you next week, I'm going to be interested to see how much you remember of the list. Because these pithy statements have a hard time sticking in our hearts. But there they are. We can read and absorb and memorize and then get to work, right? What's number six? Don't look. How should I think? So remember, remember as we start, and we've started in Romans, and we're not in chapter 1, we're in chapter 12. Well, the first 11 chapters have been about what? The gospel. This is all a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart. A response to say, you have something that's been done to you. There's been this radical change in you. And when that's true, there's a radical change in your Christian service. It may help you to know in this list, and if you look at the original language, and I know that many of us, that's not what we can do, but you look at the original language, you won't find a command in this list. Wait a minute. 13 commands. Yet in the original text, these are all just a noun and an adjective. In this section, love, genuine. Evil, rejected evil, clinging good, affectionate brotherly love, leaping up honoring, focused zealousness. Wait a minute, that gives me a little different flavor. That makes it think, wait, he's describing something. He's describing what it is to have this amazing radical change in you. That's the gospel. He's describing what it is, your affections as they change. As we looked at last week, as we start to see, this is what God says beautiful is. As our vision and heart and desire start to change, where our reality matches God's. And we begin to say, oh, that is beautiful. I want that. When you're looking at a car and you're looking at an old beat-up car and a beautiful new gleaming waxed car and our sinful nature says, I think that the, the dirty one's the good one. When as we start to have our eyes open, we say, no, 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 that brand new beautiful one, it really is beautiful. That's what's going on with us. So these things start to go and flow in us. And actually, it's very interesting as well. If you really begin to look at this, the head one that you see controls all of these commands. So I'd like to pull you today. This is our first response to the gospel to see is love. These other pieces up here are describing and showing love. Let love be genuine, or you could say, love without hypocrisy. Here's the response of the gospel. Here's what I want you to make sure you take away, that you hold on to, that you put in your pocket, that you're able to pick out again. Let love be without hypocrisy. Love is without hypocrisy if you really get the radical grace of the gospel. That means if I cut you all the way through from your heart to the outside, love is the same. You're not showing love, quotation marks, to someone out there, but inside, upset at them. 
genuine, real, without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, right? You know these things, but let me pull it out just a little bit. The word there, without hypocrisy, is the actual adjective describing what love is for the Christian without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is concerned about how I appear more than what reality is, right? Making my outside better than my inside, hiding my flaws, keeping the approval of other people, covering over my real sins and acting religious in order to cover them. That describes us pretty well sometimes. I come to church, I dress up, I don't tell anyone I've been yelling at my wife at home. Why do I want them to know that? I want them to know that I can be a pretty good person. So I smile and I shake hands and I come and then I go and no one sees the turmoil in my home and reality of my life. Without hypocrisy. This is applied to love. So really when I, when I think about other people, oh, I genuinely can care for, can take 1 Corinthians 13 that we read already and, and we really just want to apply to our spouse's but I can take that and say, no, this describes my relationship with people in my church. Kind, patient, caring, doesn't seek itself, seeks no record of wrong, has all these amazing things. And you can say, yes, I want that. Why do you want it? Because of Jesus. Because of the gospel. Jesus Christ laid down his life for me and he made me blameless. He made me holy. He made me someone who actually is alive. And so I so want these other people who God has also made alive to be cared for. They've got the Holy Spirit too. With that then, if that's our head, let love be real. What does real love look like? Well, it's the rest of those nouns and adjectives together. It means evil rejected. It's not love to, to, to want evil good clinging. I'm constantly clinging to good in people. I'm love. Love is, is I actually have desire for what God calls beautiful. What does he call beautiful? Ethical, moral good. He does. Affectionate, right? Keeps on going. Love one another with brotherly affection. It's a very unusual word, that brotherly affection piece. It's, it means family love. Love each other like a family. Okay, I know, I know. Oh boy, you just stepped in at Dex because you haven't seen my family. I've talked to my dad in 25 years. No, this is, this is that real affection that a family can have who knows each other well. The very best, almost the ideal family. Not the fallen ones that we have. I know we all have bad examples of different things and tensions. But we're talking about affection. The arm around someone's shoulder affection. Hey, I'm your brother, I'm your sister. That's Love does that. I can have that because we are brothers and sisters, right? We are in a very real sense. If you come to this church and you're part of it and we're worshiping Jesus together, you're part of our body. That's a family. We're supposed to be caring for each other. We don't do it very well. Yeah, just like real families sometimes don't do it very well. It's not about the perfection. It's about the reality that we are. The Holy Spirit is building us up together. It keeps going, right? We can just go through them. And you see, they relate to outdo one another in showing honor. You're, you're talking about in the family thing, I'm racing to honor other people. This is love to lift up other people and bring out the things that lift them up. 
See, as opposed to if it were really about the list piece, then I'm trying to actually build myself up, sometimes by acting like I'm building them up. Oh, look at me do good things. I, I'm, I honor you. Look at me be holy. <laughs> honor, honor, honor. That's not honor. That's me wanting you to see how wonderful I am to honor. Right? That was what Jesus was mad at the Pharisees about. He even started saying, don't let your left hand do it. Know what your right hand is doing. It's because of people were standing on the street corner saying, look at me, do good deeds. Okay, so, but this is real love. This is fantastic racing. This is unto God love, right? This is not based on someone else's worthiness in your family because you look at the reality. We're looking at reality. We start looking at each other and saying, I can find warts on every single person. And I know you're looking at me and I got a big red dot on my nose today. Why? I don't know. We got warts. We got things that aren't very good. We got things that don't, don't flow perfectly. And yet the Lord says, hey, as unto the Lord, right? Says they're serving the Lord. It's describing love. Love one another, brotherly affection. Outdo one another, showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That all goes together as, as objectifying love. Not slothful in your love. Not lazy in your zeal to love. Now, as you desire to, to really see someone else lifted up, you're not, not just going to not care about your brother. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, pushes us back to the gospel. Jesus, you saved me. I'm so excited to show you love because you've loved me so. I know my love is not what saves me. I know it's not what does it, but I want, I desire to respond. Oh, here it is, love genuinely. Keeps on going. Rejoice in hope. I, I can do that as I love, as we love each other, relationally, genuinely. Man, I have hope. I always have hope. You know, people come sometimes to the pastor with the very worst problems. And I can always rejoice in hope. Why? It's not because of the situations. It's not even worth bringing them up. It's because I know something. What do I know? I know the gospel. We're able to rejoice in hope because of the gospel, right? Because whenever I look at you or whenever you look at me and we see Jesus Christ and we know that he has saved our soul and we know that the Holy Spirit actually works on people, then we are sure that there is hope in any situation. That's what the reality is. I'm able to be that way as a response to the gospel. Patient in tribulation. Again, same sort of thing. This is a response to the gospel, right? Patient in tribulation. As hard things happen or difficult things, I can be patient because I realize that Jesus has saved my soul. I'm headed for, for heaven and eternity is right around the corner. And I know that for you too if you know Jesus. We can be patient together. Amazing things. Constant in prayer. I can constantly pray as a result of the genuine love that I have, responding to the gospel. I can be generous, contributing to the needs of the saints, seeking to show hospitality. That's loving strangers. I can actually say, hey, I want those things truly because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I already have. I've been overwhelmingly blessed by Jesus Christ. There it is. That's our, those are our statements. At least through 13. 
And again, not a single actual Greek imperative. Every single one, a noun and an adjective, descriptive, describing for us. And then pushing us to say, this is what genuine, real reality is. Be this way through and through. How amazing. Aren't you with me to say that it would be fantastic to really love genuinely? Like if I got you in your closet, just you and me face to face, no one would hear, and you could tell me, this is what I really think. Your absolute real thought, and it would be, genuinely, I just care for the body. I'll tell you what, it's impossible. I think it's impossible. It's impossible except for chapters 1 to 11, the gospel. Because when I do get this, this amazing truth, this focused reality that I, my mind is renewed, my body is transformed as I think about the reality that I am so blessed, that I'm so taken care of, that I have everything has been given to me. That's the piece that begins to renew my thinking about, you know what, I really can be this way. We try and leapfrog that. We do, you and I. I try and leapfrog that. I try and leapfrog the gospel and and I go back to these these lists and I try and say, okay, I'm going to do all these things and God will be happy with me. And it, it turns out not only can I not do it, but it doesn't show any reliance on Christ. So we have here our beginning. To love without hypocrisy, good, clinging, affectionate, honoring unto God, passionate, joyfully hopeful, patient, prayerful, generous love. And we get there through the gospel. There's another piece, because he keeps on going. And I've labeled this to keep on responding. We respond in unity. Take a look with me. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Okay, just keep going. And again, if we're reading this at home, or if you're in your study time, you might just gloss, and you get kind of glassy-eyed. Okay, I need to, I need to, how do these all connect? It's just a lot of commands, Lord. Now it shifts, though, which is why we broke this apart. And there are a couple commands in here, actual Greek commands. And you first see that it continues to be a response. And it's a response in unity, and I want to show you why. But it's a response to the gospel. Why else would you ever be able to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them? Really? Chew on that for just a minute. <laughs> If someone really persecutes you, means they're after you. They want to do you harm. Paul is going to be crucified upside down. Bless them? Where's my gun? Shoot them. What is he getting at? He's getting at this response that's towards the world, that's towards everyone when you're not treated rightly, that you might bless. Why? Because Jesus Christ did. 
This is an attitude that we have that we're associated in the gospel with Jesus, isn't it? Think about the Savior who came to earth. Think about him coming into Jerusalem. Think about him looking at the people who would kill him as he looked over Jerusalem. And the Bible, and the shortest verse of the Bible, it's one we memorize as kids because it was so short, it's just two words. It says, Jesus wept. What did he do? Why did he weep? Jesus, it says, looked over Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem. Remember that? Oh, Jerusalem, if you would only have known the things that would be for your peace. He's weeping over the people that would kill him. My Savior came and he blessed the people who persecuted him. He wept over them. They were pitiable that they were fighting God. So it is for anyone that will persecute us. They are fighting who? God. It is a sad place for them to be. This verse isn't particularly anti-defense. It's not saying don't prevent someone from harming you. That's not what he's saying here. It's not saying you shouldn't prevent persecution or saying you can't stop injustice. It's saying have the attitude that when people persecute you, you have pity on them. Why? How can I say that? How is that true? Because I'm going to heaven. I'm set, I'm holy and blameless and alive, and I've got Jesus in me, and you can't stop me. Because of me? No, you can stop me. Drive the stake through. I'm done. But you see, I know I'm saved. I'm leaning on the promises of Christ. And when I do that, if somebody's going to fight me over Christ, who are they fighting? I desire to bless them by telling them the truth about Jesus. It's true. Then he shifts and he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is hard for me too. Is there sense here? First, it's about, it looks at the whole sort of community, the world, saying when someone persecutes you, you're not after them to persecute them back. You want them to know Jesus. There's a unity in that. But here's real unities, is that even within the body, we rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It's a real test of our heart, do we know the gospel? That when something really fantastic happens to someone, we rejoice. It's a really fantastic thing when you can see, no, my heart really does rejoice. For many years, I testify to this, that, that my wife and I wanted to have kids, right? So wanted to have kids. And year after year after year after year would go by and no children. But then, some young married couple who had been married for two days would stand up and say, we're pregnant, woohoo! And I would go, we tried for 11 years. So the pull of my heart sometimes was towards being, oh, I want what they have, right? That's not gospel. That's wrong. That's sin. That's sin. Instead, to be able to say, wow, praise the Lord that he blesses people. Praise the Lord that he was. No one in his room is deserving of anything. Nobody here is deserving of the joy of having a child ever. Not in our natural state. Not in who we are. Because why? Because we're sinners that don't deserve the blessing of God. And yet we receive the blessing of God. And we should rejoice because every single person who knows Jesus Christ, is going to heaven with us. Wow, how fantastic that we have such a great God. And a sign of that is that we can rejoice with you. Rejoicing. Something good is 
good. Why do I try to tear it down? Why? Because sometimes it's wishing I had it. But the other piece is even harder for me. I see weep with those who weep. Well, wait a minute. I know, Philippians. Rejoice always. I'm not weeping with you. You should rejoice always. So you see someone crying, you see someone down, you see someone depressed, and you whip out your cool handy Bible index, and you turn to Philippians 3, 8. Oh, here it is. You write it out, and you tear it off, and you give it to them. You're done. I'm not going to weep with you. Rejoice! Come on, I'm, I'm exhorting you. Go. So why is this even here? What is he getting at? He's getting at we're a body, right? If your finger hurts, my whole body can hurt. Right, you take a you can try this at home. Make sure you ask your parents, kids. Take a hammer. Give it one. Whap. Ah! You'll hurt to your toes. It'll go through your whole body. It'll go up to your head. Your head will register the hurt. The pain will come up your arm. Into, your whole body will say, ouch. That's the thought here. It's not that there's not this underlying rejoicing that we're going to heaven. There is. We've already even seen it. But there's this thought that the gospel is we're going to heaven. And so there's that peace. And yet we can cry. We can see as a body when other people are hurting, we don't try and fix them. Let me be God for you and tell you, you must be better. If you'll just humble yourself before me, I'm telling you that. There's not that. The Lord actually allows the body to weep. And part of the healing is to sit next to someone and weep with them. To feel the hurt of this fallen world. That's not against the gospel of Christ. Jesus came and he has promised us in Revelation that he'll wipe away every tear, right? When he comes again. And yet he came into this fallen world that he is allowed to still exist. Desiring the people to get saved. And we get to see the results of this fallen world, which often is pain and sorrow. And so it is acknowledging even the gospel of Christ to sit with someone and feel their pain. It's okay. Jesus came, and we know, and it's hope for us, and it's, it's part of our faith for sure that we rejoice, have this underlying deep rejoicing because we know that this pain will not last. My wife used to call these big red truck moments. Probably getting it wrong. But it was about a friend who was struggling. And she said, I just wish someone would come into my truck and sit down on the seat next to me and cry with me. That's why instead I'm getting all these Christians coming up to me and saying, you should do this or this or this or this or this or this or this. It's okay. The Bible actually says it's okay that when our body hurts, we can hurt. That's love. But that's this responding in unity. That's us actually feeling the pain of the finger. That's us actually saying, if the, if the finger's rejoicing, we can rejoice. If the finger's hurting, we can hurt. It's not taking away or robbing from the underlying truth and rejoicing we have in the gospel. In fact, it comes into verse 16, right? Which is live in harmony with one another. That's what harmony is, that we're together in it. If we see great tragedy, we, we feel the tragedy. It's okay. Harmony. Don't be haughty, it says, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. These actually fit together. To live in harmony with someone is so gospel-oriented because the gospel says we have been united to the living God. 
Not by anything we've done. So there's not that some of us are really good. Some of us are really bad. Some of us are in between. It's not that at all. It's that we're all terrible and sinful. And we have Jesus Christ now. So here we are united to a living God, each and every one of us who have faith in Jesus. And so it's never about me. So harmony is us submitting to our head, Jesus. And I can actually have a low view of man. I can associate with the lowly. This is, this is Paul's even main response that he has to the gospel. The gospel living is this way. This is what it looks like. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I therefore, Paul writes, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, he says, with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, the unity of the Spirit, living in harmony, means living humbly. This is us saying, I want to respond to Jesus. This is our being renewed in the gospel leads this way. These are pathways that they lead into. It's true. Unity goes with humility. If you're willing to see yourself rightly, if the gospel's true, then we are all nothing in regards to our salvation. Different gifts, different struggles, different rejoicings, different weepings, but we as a body know we're in Jesus. This is our normal response to what the gospel is. That's it. So we can respond in unity. There's one more piece and we're done. Responding in trust. He said something wild here at the end of this chapter. Look at it with me, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Okay, kind of got that with the persecution thing, but let's keep going. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Okay, this is related to unity, but now he's, he's expanding it. He's actually saying this is the mark of your whole life is that we don't repay evil for evil. If someone does evil to me, I'm not going to join in evil on, on the backside. Why? It's related to how we've been thinking about the gospel, right? If I start to see that God says this is beautiful, then more and more as I'm renewing my mind in Jesus Christ and realizing that it's not about me but about God, my, the Holy Spirit changes me where I, I see God's beautiful as my beautiful too. I agree with him. And I despise evil. Why would I enter into evil because someone does evil to me? But this is where the rubber meets the road because people do do evil to us and we want to respond to them badly. Maybe if anyone was at Hagen last night, I went to Hagen to, to get a little um, thing of medicine for my little girl. She had an earache. And I was driving out the parking lot and I, I took one of the corners kind of tight as you drove out. There was very few people there. It was late at night. But it so happened there was a car coming in. They, they put on their brakes, and I did too. As they were driving away, they were giving me a certain sign. Because they were mad at me. I'd done evil to them, and they were doing evil back. <laughs> That's sad. That's not the gospel. The gospel says, hey, why would I go down that path? It's not beautiful. We laugh, but it's not beautiful. Those things are not beautiful. I start to say, oh, no, no, beautiful is God's way. And he says, repaying evil for evil is not beautiful. But So I'm giving thought to what is honorable. And that word honorable actually means morally beautiful. 
Give thought to what is morally beautiful in the sight of all. Again, this is not a statement that says you can't fight evil, is it? It might be morally beautiful for you to go to the aid of a person or a country. It would be wisdom to say, hey, there's great injustice going on here, and it is good for us to go, but boy, you better give thought to that. You better know the reasons why you're doing that. To say, hey, I'm going to go. I'm not going to pay evil for evil. But I'm thinking about what's morally beautiful in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. My desire is to live peaceably. This gives you a strong idea of you thoughtful before you are doing anything that's going to harm somebody else, right? You might have to. That might be morally honorable. But you're thinking about it before you do it. And then he says this in 19, beloved. He even this little break, he does this beloved, beloved, beloved. Oh, precious people. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is so important for us. This is, again, gospel response, trusting our Savior. What are we trusting him with? Everything. Especially if you're a Christian, with your vengeance. You know, people do things that aren't right to you. What do you want? I want it made right for me personally. I just want fairness. What I want is fairness. And the gospel pushes you away from that. It's amazing. It's very countercultural. That you and I, the gospel says you've been taken care of by God. You're united to a living God. You are his bride. You are with him forever. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And so, you're able, when things happen to you that aren't right, to say, where's my sword? No. To say, Lord, I trust you. Do you really think God is alive? Do you really think he's a just God? Do you really think he's promised to make all things right? Or do you think you need to? The big line. And if you know the gospel, you know the answer is, I'm going to trust Jesus. This is the first step of forgiveness for us. In fact, everyone in this room has experienced this. You have been sinned against. I know you've been sinned against. Why? Because you've lived in this life with me. You are a sinner, and yet you've been sinned against, and you can think of things in instances where you've been sinned against, and the mark of the Christian is that we say, Lord, I give you my vengeance. I will not seek it against them. It's not right what they did. I don't condone it. I don't say it's good when it's not good. I love, I cling to good, and yet, oh, Lord, yours is the vengeance. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32 here. There is such a thing as God making things right, and he says he's going to do it. In fact, he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Show him kindness. Show him mercy. Maybe it's true that he'll repent. But if he doesn't, you know, give him something to drink. Because if you do that, you know judgment's coming. You're trusting your God. I do take that that way, by the way. If you look at 20, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Some people say, oh, that was an act of contrition in Egypt where he carried burning coals. Maybe he'll shame him. I don't see that. I, I think he's saying, look, it's true that God is a God of justice. It's not your job 
to execute God's vengeance. God is able to do that. You even be kind to your enemy. But if he doesn't turn, and if they continue down injustice, the wrath of God is coming. It is. This is no weak tea gospel we're in. You know, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We've been through chapter 2 already. God says, because of your heart, in verse 5, an impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It humbles me. Because, think through that just a minute. We're almost done. I, I know, but it's so important. It humbles us. Why? Because you realize you deserve coals on your head. I deserve the wrath of God every day. Even now, even now, we live in a life. And I, if I examined your day closely with a microscope, I can find something you're doing wrong because you're not glorified yet. You're not a perfect person. So I can find that imperfect thing in your life. And guess what you deserve because of it? Hell, right? You're not exactly equal to God. If what I deserve is hell, and at the same time God gives me grace and mercy in heaven, oh, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by this thought that wrath is coming. I'm so desiring the people not experience it. Even the enemies of mine, even those who are not being kind to me, how I want them to escape, and yet I know it's true that it's coming. So do not be overcome by evil, 21 says, but overcome evil with good. This is because of the gospel. We are joining arms to lean on Jesus Christ, not on humanity. We have a low view of man, but a high view of God. I want to end with this, because this is the idea for us this morning. We are not into lists. I'm not calling on you to put a little box by every statement that you find and make sure that as you do them, you mark them off. I will give you no stickers. But this is a reality. As we love Jesus, our hearts get changed to where we desire these things, that it's genuine in us that we desire these things. I call you to that. You might say today, okay, Dex, that's fine, but I don't want them. I don't want to give love when I've been hurt. I don't want to, to honor. I want honor. If it is that you find yourself falling in those areas, but you desire the right, you're doing fine. The desire is what's important. You ask the Lord for forgiveness. You move on. If you don't desire them at all, you need to ask the Lord. Because this is who we were, which is cracked, dead, dry earth. And this is what God has done is he's making us into these amazing, wondrous flowers. I know, not tulips. You don't have to be a tulip lover. But, but the thought there of verdant growth and goodness is the, the gospel in us moving. And we, we respond. I put a quote from Jonathan Edwards from you. It says, all shall stand about the God of glory, the fountain of love, as it were, opening up to be filled with those effusions of love which are poured forth from thence as flowers on the earth in a pleasant spring day open their bosoms to the sun to be filled with his warmth and light and to flourish in the beauty and fragrancy by his rays. That's our Lord. Oh, that we might respond 
and then from Spurgeon, we shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. So I call you today by the word of God to look unto Jesus. And if you're failing here, look unto Jesus. Come back to the gospel. Get enamored again with the wondrous Savior who died for you. Because that's where the motivation comes from, to bear this fruit. Let's pray.